From Schwartz Media, I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. Three months since becoming leader of the Greens, Adam Bant has begun articulating a plan for the party that embraces capitalism and sees their future in partnership with Labor. Today, Margaret Simons on what we need to know about Adam Bant. Margaret, what measure did you get of Adam Bant as a person? What's he like? Mm. He has been a politician who I think has flown under the radar a little bit. He's been highly significant in politics, but there'd never been a detailed profile of him and not many extended interviews. Margaret Simons is a journalist and author. She profiled Adam Bant in the latest issue of The Monthly. Well, the piece is called The Personable Hardliner, and, and I think that pretty much sums it up. He's, um, he's very pleasant, he's charming, he's clearly intelligent. If we get through the coronavirus crisis in reasonably good shape, it will be because of public institutions acting in the public good, Surprisingly hesitant, um, I would say shy or or almost socially awkward. As an interview subject, I was listening to the audio of the interview and there's lots of pauses and breaks and repetitions there until he gets fired up and then suddenly he becomes very fluent. Talk to the GFC, for example, and their willingness to trash science and trash independent expert advice from the So, um, yes, he is a hardliner. He's very intellectual. I say in the piece that he's an unusual Australian politician in that he's really a scholar and his activism is, is embedded in scholarship, in this case, Marxist scholarship. And I think that's unusual in Australia. You don't, you don't have many Australian politicians who have PhDs. And if they have done research, it's often sort of fairly instrumental kind of research, fairly uh, narrow policy-focused research. So I think he's unusual in that. He's a, he's a scholar politician. Did you learn anything about his past or his family or the way that he grew up that gave you any insight into how he approaches leadership or politics more generally? His dad was a social worker um, and his mother was a school teacher. It's a you know, reasonably conventional middle-class upbringing. His mother, he describes as a practical environmentalist. And that flowed through from her family as well, a really strong sense of, you know, we've got one planet, one set of resources, we've got to look after it. And, and his father, he says, was the one who was sort of shouting at the television telling Liberal politicians that people were going through a hard time and needed a break. And he seems to have been politically fairly fully formed at the time he started university, which I think is a little unusual. He made a very deliberate decision of going to Murdoch University, even though his marks would have got him into University of Western Australia, which was more prestigious. That idea of being part of a new approach being set up at Murdoch University was was quite exciting. And I don't regret it. So Bant went on to join the Greens and in 2010 he was elected as the member for Melbourne, which made him the only Green in the lower house. What was that experience like for him and how did it shape him as a politician? Yes. 
Well, of course, it, he, in a sense, he was thrown right into the heart of the fire, if you like, of politics, because thanks to the fact that he had a lower house seat. Melbourne is an amazing place. It has the highest proportion of... The Greens were part of the agreement which allowed Julia Gillard to form government with the support of the rural independents um, and the Greens. And Melbourne is home to many people who share a growing feeling that the way we were doing things in the 20th century simply isn't sustainable, environmentally, economically or socially. And so he took part in a number of cross-party committees on really key issues like an emissions trading scheme, a tax on carbon and many other matters and was very influential in you know, the hard business of policy in a way that most MPs in their first term wouldn't be. A carbon price is not going to be a cure-all. We are going to need a range of government initiatives to tackle the problem of climate change. We're and he's well remembered from that process as a constructive player who was trying to get good policy up rather than play shallower political games. We are going to need a significant renewable energy target, a feed-in tariff. We are going to need Commonwealth investment in a renewable energy grid. Uh, I'm less sanguine about... Can you talk me through how Adam Bant became leader of the Greens? Was he warmly welcomed into that leadership role? Well, the Greens, of course, were the creation of Bob Brown and an environmental movement that originally came out of the, the movement against the damming of the Franklin Dam back in the day, back in the 80s. The flooding of the Franklin River is being touted by some as not just an issue but the issue. I think it's been a uh, tremendous victory for Australia as a whole as far as its environment's concerned, not only for the Franklin River but for our other world heritage. And then when Bob Brown retired after many years, he handed over to Christine Milne, who also came from that sort of Tasmanian environmentalist background. We have to make sure that we stop cutting down the forests that are home to the Leadbeater's possum. Adam is a bit of a change of direction in that. So although he was their only person in the lower house, and although he was very influential within the Greens, I think it's fair to say there was a bit of resistance to him. When Christine Milne retired, it's generally believed that she organised it so that Adam didn't get the leadership and he was also blocked from the deputy leadership at that time. First to the dramatic change in the Federal Greens Party today, with Christine Milne resigning and Richard Di Natale replacing her as leader. And Richard Di Natale, of course, became the leader. Um, the co-deputies were elected unopposed. So Adam okay. uh, Adam will make a statement um, later. Thank you. Adam comes from a more sort of hardline left, says he wouldn't describe himself as a Marxist, but he's certainly influenced by Marxist thought. And I also think that there has probably historically been some suspicion of him because he doesn't come from that environmental movement, which is where the Greens have their roots. And, you know, the Greens are still trying to work out where they go after the extraordinary leadership of Bob Brown. You know, it's still a personality-based party in some ways, but the leading personality has left. And uh, it will be interesting to see whether Adam can really take them forward in leadership terms because uh, Bob Brown has left a very big shadow, I think. We'll be back in a moment. As a a. 7am listener, you value the story behind the headlines. That's why you should read Post, a free daily newsletter bringing you the top five news stories of the day, summarising each of their key points with links to full articles from a range of sources. Get the news you need to your inbox 
every weekday morning with post. Sign up at thesaturdaypaper.com.au slash newsletters. For Sloane Crosley, writing about the loss of a friend may not have provided catharsis, but it did allow for the possibility of a better ending. Like you have this amazing meal that's this friendship and then you have a really, 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 really bad dessert with shards of glass in it. And then like the book is like, you know, those little chunks of chocolate that come with the bill. I'm Michael Williams. Join me for this week's episode of Read This as I talk to Sloane Crosley about her latest Grief is for People. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Margaret, Adam Bant has been leading the Greens for three months now. Has he articulated how he intends to take the party forward? The impression I got from talking to him is that he thinks that the need for action on climate change is so urgent that we kind of don't have room to argue about whether we want socialism or not. We've we've got to move quickly and that that means we have to form an alliance which will include socialists, quite possibly, but will also include the owners of big business, people who are concerned about... Um, the future for capitalism in um, in a changing climate. He's arguing for green capitalism. And he says in the interview something along the lines of he'd rather his daughters grew up under green capitalism than, uh, than under the alternative, which would mean a short and brutish life. What does he mean by green capitalism? Well, good question, and I'm not sure we know yet. So he talks about the Green New Deal, which is, of course, a concept which is being talked about in Europe and, and has been introduced in Europe, um, also by parts of the Democrat Party in the USA. What exactly does it mean? Well, he hasn't yet really spelt that out. At the moment, it's a reframing of existing Greens policies around getting companies to pay more tax, around fairly major investment in order to tackle our emissions crisis, bringing dental programs into Medicare, you know, existing Greens policies that have been around for a while. But I gather that, COVID aside, this year was going to be about pushing that agenda forward and developing new aspects of it and getting some more specifics around it. But uh, that has all been made more difficult, of course, by the current situation. And there's tension in the Greens between those on the left and right of the party. So where does that approach of green capitalism place him? And his is he likely to face internal pressure on these issues? Yes, I think he is. I mean, the Greens have not been very successful at all at managing their internal tensions. Um, not at all. And they, when they've made headlines over the last few years, it's often because of some internal spat. And it's quite difficult to tell what those spats are about in terms of policy or political positioning. I mean, often they're represented as being between left and right or between socialists and greenies or tree Tories, as they're called. But quite often they, they don't seem to be about anything much at all. They seem to be about personalities as much as anything. And I think that's going to be one of his main challenges, and he said this himself in the interview, that the party is going to have to get better at accepting that if you're going to have this coalition of people... There will be differences between them. One of the things we need to do is get better at accepting difference internally and better at finding ways for people to air their differences internally and feel that they've been hurt. That that's not necessarily a bad thing, but you have to get better at resolving it. And um, try and have as many of those differences aired uh, in a way that doesn't spill over into the public arena. And I think in that respect... Mm-hmm. And. Beyond the Green New Deal, what priorities does Adam Bant have for the Greens? 
Well, he says that his aims, his three aims for uh, the next term are to turf out the current coalition government, to get the balance of power in both houses of parliament, so both the upper house and the lower house, and to be in government in some sort of partnership coalition arrangement to introduce a new Green Deal. I've written about this, that I believe that the path towards getting change in this country is for Greens and Labor and independents to cooperatively work together and share power like we did under Julia Gillard. Um, That's what he sees as the future, whereas Bob Brown, of course, used to talk about replacing the Labor Party. You won't hear that sort of talk from, from Adam Bandt. That means the Greens must work with Labor if they want to have influence. I think there's a lot of conversations that probably need to take place behind closed doors in order to heal some of those pretty fitted sores. Okay, thanks for that. Yeah. That's it, Adam, from my point of view. Good, thanks. No, no, thank you. Margaret, thanks so much for your time today. It's a pleasure. Sloane Crosley is known for her funny and acerbic personal essays, but her new memoir digs much deeper to examine the loss of her best friend. Join me, Michael Williams, as I chat with Sloane about Grief is for People. Find it wherever you listen. Also in the news, Prime Minister Scott Morrison has denied misleading Parliament over his part in the $100 million sports funding program. New documents have revealed that Morrison's office sought authority over the approved projects. Labor is expected to question the Prime Minister further as Parliament returns today. Home visits and small outdoor gatherings will be allowed in Victoria from this Wednesday as Premier Dan Andrews revealed the first stage of the state's easing of restrictions. Up to five people will be allowed to visit homes and outdoor activities of up to ten people can take place. However, the Premier has cautioned people against loosening social distancing behaviours too quickly. And New Zealand is also winding back its restrictions from this week after introducing a severe lockdown in March. Restaurants, shops, gyms and playgrounds will reopen and up to 10 people will be allowed to visit homes. I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. See you tomorrow.